Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The original Star Trek is undoubtedly one of the most recognizable TV shows of all time. The colourful costumes, memorable characters and thought-provoking stories all work together to create a phenomenon that shaped our culture in unexpected ways. As subsequent shows in the Star Trek universe began to emerge, it was safe to say that Star Trek had contributed its own unique legacy to the television landscape. What a lot of people may not realise though is that Star Trek's legacy could have looked much different than what we know today. In the early days, and sometimes the later days of the show, a lot of the history and world building was a work in progress. As a result, something that was established in one episode may be retconned in a later episode. Looking at some of Star Trek's biggest retcons gives an interesting insight into the show's past, as well as a future we never got to see. Hi, I'm Marcus Bronzy, here for Trek Culture, and here are Star Trek The Original Series' 12 Biggest Retcons. Number 12. Shuttlecrafts Shuttlecrafts are often used as an alternative mode of transportation. They're especially useful for survey missions to newly discovered planets, but in some of the early episodes, they are conspicuously absent. The best example of this appears in The Enemy Within. A landing party is trapped on a planet where the temperature is plummeting dangerously low, but they can't be transported up because of a malfunction that split Kirk into his good and evil halves. In spite of the life-threatening temperatures though, nobody suggests sending a shuttlecraft down to get the landing party. In fact, there's nothing to suggest that shuttlecrafts even exist. Only in subsequent episodes do they begin to appear and everyone acts as if they've always been around. But if the shuttlecrafts were always around, why didn't they use them earlier? Number 11. Starship Emblems not every ship in Starfleet used the Delta symbol that is associated with Star Trek today. The crews of different ships had different emblems on their uniforms as a way of signifying where they served. Episodes like the Doomsday Machine and the Ultimate Computer are excellent examples of the variety of Starship emblems. However, in future series, virtually everything associated with Starfleet used the Delta symbol that was originally reserved just for the Enterprise. Whilst this could be viewed as a natural change in Starfleet's logo design, everyone uses the same Delta symbol even in the prequel shows. There is no indication that other ships, past or future, ever use their own emblems again. Number 10. Ponfar's Secrecy Amok Time was a landmark episode famous for delving into the Vulcan's mysterious culture. The focal point of the episode is the Ponfar, the Vulcan's seven-year mating cycle. Spock is clear that Ponfar is seldom discussed among themselves and practically never mentioned to outsiders, except for the very few who have been involved. We see a reversal of this policy of secrecy in the Cloud Minders, as Spock openly discusses Ponfar with Droxine, the daughter of the High Advisor of Stratos. 
Why Spock is sharing such a personal matter with the woman he literally just met is never quite explained and is a jarring disconnect from what was previously established. Number 9. Spock's human ancestry was much farther back. In Where No Man Has Gone Before, Spock makes a comment to Kirk during a chess game about one of his ancestors marrying a human woman. Kirk then jokes about how tough it must be having bad blood in the family like that. This would suggest that Spock was not directly half-human, but his human ancestry was originally much further back in his family tree. Later episodes would establish Spock's mother as Amanda Grayson, a human woman who married the Vulcan ambassador Sarek. This changed Spock's background from a random human woman marrying a Vulcan ancestor several generations back to the more immediate half-human and half-Vulcan. Number 8. McCoy's Wife Natira During the visit to the spaceship-slash-asteroid world of Yonada in For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, McCoy fell in love with Natira a high priestess of Fabrini. At the time, McCoy had been diagnosed with xenopolysynthemia, a blood disease that left him with only one year to live. McCoy's feelings for Natira were so strong that he chose to stay aboard Yonada as her husband and spend his remaining years with her instead of retiring to the Enterprise. An examination of Yonada's main computer, known as the Oracle, revealed a cure for McCoy's condition and he resumed his duties aboard the Enterprise as Chief Medical Officer. Despite making plans with Natira to come visit her when Yonada finally arrives at its destination world, we never see or hear anything alluding to McCoy's marriage in the future episodes or movies. Number 7. A Conquered Vulcan? The planet Vulcan is one of the most famous in Star Trek's history. It's the home of the Vulcan people, best known for the logical lifestyle they adopted to curtail the bloody violence that was a hallmark of their early history. Before becoming pacifists, Vulcans were such powerful warriors that in the immunity syndrome, Spock slates that Vulcan has never been conquered. The idea of being conquered is completely foreign to them. Vulcan warriors sound as about as strong and terrifying as Klingons based on that description. But in the conscience of the king, McCoy makes a wry observation of understanding why Vulcans were conquered, being spared the dubious benefits of alcohol. This episode actually aired prior to the immunity syndrome, so the idea of Vulcan being completely unconquered was a new development. Number 6. Ahura's Memory Wipe In The Changeling, the Nomad People comes aboard the Enterprise to investigate the crew. Its methods of investigation are dangerously destructive though, as seen when they completely wipe Ahura's memory just to learn what music is and what the singing that she was doing was. There was no brain damage, but she had lost all of her knowledge and memories requiring her to be re-educated. Such a drastic action is never brought up again, and in later episodes you would never even guess that Ahura had lost all of her memories. Re-education is one thing, but Ahura had lost all of her memories of her childhood, all of her hobbies and interests, and yet everything seemed perfectly normal. Number 5. The reveal of Spock's parents. The reveal of Spock's parents in the journey to Babel came as a great shock to the Enterprise crew and the audience alike. Everyone knew that Spock was half human and half Vulcan, but who would have known that his father was an ambassador? Well, as it turns out, Kirk already learned about this in This Side of Paradise. In that episode, Spock tells Kirk that his father is an ambassador, and by the time the journey to Babel airs, however, Kirk has apparently forgot about this conversation with Spock. Instead, he seems just as surprised as everyone else to learn about the identity of Spock's parents when they arrive aboard the Enterprise. Number 4. Vulcan used to be Vulcanian the Vulcans are one of the most iconic species in Star Trek, but they weren't always called Vulcans. Yep, yeah, that's right. Although the planet was called Vulcan, the people who lived there were referred to as Vulcanian in early episodes. Spock referred to himself as half Vulcanian on a few occasions, and Kirk once referenced the Vulcanian expedition he had been part of in Court Martial. In later episodes, the term Vulcanian was dropped and exchanged for the regular term Vulcan. Ever since, it has been accepted practice to refer to both the planet and its inhabitants by the single term of Vulcan. 
Number three, Kirk has a nephew. Operation Annihilate marks the first time Kirk's family was introduced on the show. His older brother Sam appeared briefly, albeit already dead from an alien parasite, and his sister-in-law Aurelian and nephew Peter feature more prominently in the episode. After Aurelian dies from the same parasite that killed Sam, Kirk is the only family Peter has left. Kirk having an orphan nephew seems like a pretty important development, but after this episode, Peter is never referenced again. What happened to him? It seems unlikely that he would have stayed on the Enterprise, but to never hear from him again seems like a pretty big oversight on the part of the writers. And speaking of disappearing family members, number two, the number of Kirk's nephews. Operation Annihilate was the first time Kirk's family was introduced in the series, but he first referred to them in What Are Little Girls Made Of? When testing the memories of a duplicate version of himself made by Dr. Corby, he mentions his brother Sam. The duplicate supplies that Sam's full name is George Samuel Kirk and also mentions that Sam has three sons. This would imply that Peter Kirk, Sam Kirk, and Aurelian's son in Operation Annihilate has two brothers. However, there is no indication that Peter has any siblings in Operation Annihilate. Everything about that episode suggests that Peter's an only child, so Kirk goes from having three nephews to just having one to seemingly not having any nephews at all. Reckoned. Number 1. Kirk's Middle Name Everyone knows the iconic name of James T. Kirk, captain of the Enterprise on Star Trek. He was not the first captain of the show. That was Christopher Pike in the show's original pilot episode, The Cage, but he was certainly the most memorable. Yet his name was almost very different from the one that we know today. When Kirk faces off against Gary Mitchell in Where No Man Has Gone Before, Mitchell creates a headstone to mark Kirk's grave. The name on the headstone shows James R. Kirk, not James T. Kirk. In subsequent episodes, Kirk's middle initial was changed to T for Tiberius, and his middle name has remained Tiberius ever since. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.